Ryan Hoover joined the Sport and the Growing Good podcast. Ryan was a great basketball player over the course of many years, first at the college level and then played professionally for over 20 years in Europe at some of the highest levels. When he finished his competitive career, he came back to the United States and has pursued some really meaningful work in coaching and also in technology and innovation relating to sports. Ryan shared some especially interesting thoughts with us today on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast as it relates to coaching and how he works with young people, some of his key strategies and perspectives on leadership and coaching with young people in in the club sports space. Ryan's perspective is one of the most well-rounded ones that I know of because of his experience as a professional athlete and as a coach and as a parent and as an innovator. So he also discussed technology and some of the impacts that technology is having on the game of basketball and more broadly in sport. He shared some stories about current college teams and coaches and how they are adapting and how they're using technology, not only to analyze what they're doing, but also to communicate with each other and to motivate each other. I really enjoyed the conversation with Ryan and I'm just so grateful he joined us. So thank you, Ryan, for joining us and for sharing your great perspectives on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast as we continue our special look at the youth sports setting. Yeah, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Pete. We go way back and just always have a, a, a deep love in my heart for you and the, the memories and the things we battled together through the years. So it's it's great to be on with you. But yeah, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Illinois and I played all sports. I played basketball, baseball, football, golf, tennis, you know, soccer, whatever it was like I was active. And and I remember at a young age, I I my dad was a, a high school coach. So I was in the gym a lot. And I just remember that, you know, the the players that took the time to help me when I was three, four years old to get the ball up to the basket. And then I started, you know, practicing with the varsity team when I was like fourth, fifth grade. And I I could I was at a level that I could actually, you know, be out there with them and and just noticing that if I wanted to be good at something, you you always got to be finding better competition if you want to keep moving. And, uh, and, and then it was good habits. Like my dad always instilled that in me. Like, if you're going to be out there, you might as well be doing it the right way and, you know, getting the foundation of, and the mechanics of my shot and ball handling and all that before I started, you know, getting into it too much. So I really appreciate the way my parents set me up for success, just to, you know, have the right mindset and doing it for the right reasons and having fun with the sport before you get to, you know, professionally into it or going after a scholarship or, or state championships or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, those are my, my first memories of being in sport and, and being involved in, in various leagues or, um, or programs or camps during the summer. Following up on what you just said, the summer stuff, spring and summer, what was your spring and summer basketball? Like as you started getting, farther along into high school and you could see that probably basketball was 
going to be the sport you would pursue at the highest level. What did spring and summer basketball look for you? Look like for you? Yeah. So I, when I was in like elementary and in middle school, it was always like I had an allowance of what I could spend in the summer in terms of camps. And, and so I would always like research it. We didn't have a computer back then, but we always like, we would get mailings and I would go through the mailings on like what camps were the best, where can I get exposure? Where can I, you know, go play against the best players? And there was five star and there was blue chip camps and there was a tri-state camp when I grew up in Illinois and Wisconsin, Iowa and Illinois. And those were the ones that always drew my attention. Um, but my parents wanted me to know that there was money involved in that. Like there was, there was a cost to it. So I could start saving for it or I could, you know, use my allowance to do that. And I think that's, that's important for us coaches and parents is to, to get our kids in that mindset of, of what it takes um, to be involved. Cause it is expensive and it's got a lot more expensive, you know, over the years in terms of gear and, and equipment and, you know, being in the right tournaments and the right exposure events. So, um, yeah, I remember that as a young kid and it's, it's really evolved. And, and I think that was always what I had in my mind was again, back to that, always playing against the best competition that I could find and, and wherever I could find that. So. I want to skip over many years of, of your playing career and, and you had a really long and super successful playing career. I do want to ask you about that in a moment, but first skip to more of the present day where you are coaching in that spring and summer setting. You're now in the middle of spring and summer basketball. And I want to ask you how it relates today to maybe what it was like when you were playing. Yeah, it's changed a lot because we don't have as many four sport, three or four sport athletes anymore. Um, you know, as they, they go through their elementary and middle school, they have to start kind of concentrating on one sport. And I see that more these days that, that players are, you know, they're, they're honing in. And I still like to encourage players to play multiple sports because it avoids burnout and, and it gives them some different uh, versatility in terms of their, their footwork and their mentality and their, you know, kind of their mechanics whether it's baseball or volleyball or soccer or basketball, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can bring in. And, and it's still that team mindset that we need a balanced mindset in terms of what we bring to each team. So I think the more, the more exposure we can get to that, I think we're better off. And I think it, it keeps our kids fresh in season so they can focus on, on the sport and the team and the role that they're playing in that sport. So I think it's good for humility as well. Cause some players that could be elite high level basketball players could be mediocre baseball or soccer players. And they, they get that perspective. So I think that gives kids a, a, a balanced look at it. So they know, you know, how their teammates feel in basketball that are a little bit behind their level. So I, I would, I would continue to encourage kids to do that. But at the same time, I know that there's a big time and money commitment to, to basketball these days that we ask of our kids in our program and the parents that are involved, it's, it's a major commitment for this spring and summer season. And it's, it's hard to really balance that in, but I think we need to, to try to do it and, and try to keep in mind what, why we're doing it. I think that's one of the main things of, of parents and coaches and, 
and close, you know, people in the, in the family circle that we keep encouraging our athletes to focus on the right things for the right reasons. And we need to do it ourselves. I want to again, follow up on what you just said. Um, you're now coaching a group of young people. And so what, what is kind of the context of who you're coaching, what level, and then how do you communicate these things to them? Because on one hand, you're trying to build a team that's accountable to each other and you want, you need to practice together. You need to travel. Um, at the same time, you want to um, build opportunity for well-rounded opportunity for kids. How do you do both of those? Yeah. So the, it, that's a great question. So the group I'm involved with is called Casey run GMC and it's an Under Armour affiliated team. We play in the Under Armour circuit and I've been involved with them. This is my third year with the program. Uh, it's been going for close to 20 years, I, I believe. And the program director is a guy by the name of LJ Goolsby and a lot of former college players, some pro players on our staff. And, you know, I, I think, again, it's, it's important for us to be building our players up, to give them a well-balanced development, you know, not only focusing on the, the team and on the on-court stuff, obviously that's the main focus, but we have a program called the Extra Mile Program, which focuses on life skills and, um, and a balance of how to use social media and how to talk to, to schools and recruiters and how to handle the media when you get interviewed and um, the, the gratitude principle and the Me Too movement and all these things that are coming at our kids, uh, at our student athletes at a young age, probably too early of an age. But a, a lot of our players are getting recruited heavily and they're moving on to, you know, the power five conferences. And so to kind of prepare them to give them an overall view of what they're going to encounter when they get to the college. Um, we want to we want to start now preparing them for that, not only the season that's upon us, the spring season and preparing for the skill training and the team training and the, you know, the, the strategic development that we're trying to do on the court, but also giving them an overall view of of what's going to be required of them when they move to the next level. So so giving them kind of an overall balanced um we say holistic development. And, and I think it's really critical that a not, not a lot of programs do it because you don't have enough time to really do it well, but, but we try and, and we got a good, good staff. Uh, we, ha we have uh, hired a group, uh, a career advisor that helps us um, with this extra mile program. So um, we think we're, we're giving our players, everything possible to, to prepare them and, and set them up for success at the, at the level they're on now and then beyond. Ryan, you have, you have this remarkable perspective because you not only competed at such high levels and have coached and you're a parent, so you have multiple ways to view this, but you had this really long and high level experience internationally playing international basketball. And I wonder if there are lessons that you learned watching basketball in the international setting about how maybe that same age is addressed, you know, in terms of developing young people and developing players, say in Italy or other places you played as in comparison with here, are there key differences or things you've taken from that experience? Yeah, it's interesting. That's a really good question because they, they do it different. There's, there's some different things in terms of they don't have, high school programs they don't have colleges 
it's all kind of a junior team, you know? So each of the, the high level, like in Italy, in Italy, for example, they have their pro teams and then they have like junior teams. So that would be like the colleges and then they compete, whether it's 15 and under 16 and under 17 and under, and they, they recruit them and they, they basically, they, they own them. It's, it's kind of like their property, so to speak, in terms of then they can, um, they can lease them out to other teams, to other clubs. So that's, that's one of the big differences that they, I shouldn't use the word own, but they, it's, it's part of like the beginning stages of the professional part of the, the business part of it, where these kids are, are getting recruited in, they're performing and they're giving them a, a development. They're giving them a chance to get exposure and play against professional players and practice. And, um, and I think that's one of the major differences that you can't get an education and play basketball you have to choose. And that, that kind of sets them back because if their career doesn't happen to work out and they get, get recruited at a young age into one of these clubs and it doesn't work out, then they have to go back at a later age and get their education. So I think we, we get a lot of that right here in the States that, that we give these athletes an opportunity to get an education, which is a huge value to them for the long term. Um, I know in the short term, it doesn't seem like it, that a lot of players want the compensation now, but I'm a big believer in, in the education piece as they're, they're maturing, as they're under good coaching and, and staffing on the college campuses where it's, you know, and, the, and there's some good high school um, academies as well that do a, a good overall job of preparing these, these athletes for the next level. That's so interesting to me. If say you're a, a really promising young player in, in Italy, for example, and you're 15 years old, you're six foot four and you can run fast and you're a great shooter. Can you play that out? How does that, there would literally be a club would sign a 15 year old. Does that, does that 15 year old get paid? Is there a residential component to it? And then is the way the actual training of that 15 year old happens substantively different than the way we do it? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. It's, and I, and I, I don't know some of the ins and outs of it, like in terms of the compensation for these players or what the contracts, you know, quote unquote contracts are. So I'll, I'll give you an example. In 2005, I played for a club called Pavia, which is North of, uh, which is South of Milan. And, and we had a, a 17 year old player on our team on loan from Milan. So Milan had his rights. He was under contract with, with Milan, but we, he was on loan with our team, uh, with Pavia. And in my first game with that team, I had come over, uh, to this team, joined them mid season and, late in the game we were in a close game and we were throwing the ball to this guy and and letting him go one-on-one and I'm like why are we giving the ball to the junior player at the end of the game like the game's on the line don't we want to win and and I soon found out why we were giving the ball to this guy because his name is Danilo Gallinari and he was he was pretty decent (laughs) and he was he was carrying us and he was making all the plays and he was taking to the basket dunking on people when they'd cut him off, he'd kick for, you know, kick for a three, but he, at that age, he was in development. So he wasn't ready to play on the Milan team because they were high level. They were, 
you know, in the, in the Euro league and, and, you know, on the, on the high level circuit, but they, they could loan out their players like that. And so I think that was, that was a case where, you know, you could, you could loan out your players and they could develop while they're, while they're growing up and, and join the team. And then eventually he did join Milan's team. I think it was that next season. And then uh, he ended up getting drafted and, and came over and has had a, a good career over here in the U S. So that's just one case. There's other, you know, cases that don't work out that well, right. They get in situations where they, they're on loan to a team that doesn't, they, they don't use them the right way or whatever. So I, I think that that's, that gets tricky because it's, it's sort of like the developmental league here in the NBA, you know, where, where teams didn't used to be associated with the, the G league teams and then you don't know what role they're playing. So it's hard to, to bring them up and put them in the right situation. So those, those things get tricky, but I think obviously there's the, the different countries have their, their programs. They they've had it for years and that's, that's the way they do it. Coaching in a, such a competitive context, Ryan, it, with very talented players, all, all of whom are there for pretty specific reasons. They want to get, they want to go against high competition and they want to get exposure and hopefully go play further after, after high school. How do you as a coach communicate not only with those players, but with families, all of whom have self-interest in being there, they're investing money and time and, and deep aspirations in it. How do you communicate with them? And are there certain tricks of the trade that you're learning about um, kind of do's and don'ts of communicating with families throughout this process? Yeah, I think, I think when it comes down to it, the sell is you want to be a part of a great team. I think we all do, you know, whether it's in sports or in business or in our houses, we want to be a part of greatness. We want to be on a great team and we want to play our role and do it well. And, and that's how we communicate to our players. We want, we just want them to be a part of a great team and whether they're the, the star of the game, a certain game, they might not be, but other games they're we're going to need them to be the star of the game. And, and I think if they, they come in with the right mindset of understanding you're a part of a, 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 of a thing that's bigger than you and we want you to play your role, we have a role for you and we want you to play it. And, and while you do that, we're going to continue to pour, in, pour into you and invest into you and put you in the best situations to be successful. And, uh, and we want you to, to, to put everything into it that, that you got and trust us to do that. Well, we're not going to be perfect, but we, we want to, we want to be about greatness and we want to want you to be a part of that. And, you know, for the most part, there's, there's a lot of good options these days. So it's, it's tough to recruit. I mean, it's, it's the same as college, like recruiting players to, to an AAU team is, is not quite as uh, competitive as college, but it's close. It's getting close just because there's, there's, you know, the, the shoe brands and the money and the, you know, the exposure and all that stuff that we want to promise the players, but you can't really promise that you can promise them that you'll develop them well and that you'll, that they will be a part of a program. That's, that's about greatness. And that's, that's what we can. Pro- Is that something that you're actively involved in the, in actually finding players as well? Or do you do other people in the program find players and, and then you coach who shows up? Yeah, I'm not currently involved with the recruiting of it. Um, once in a while, they'll 
they'll ask me to be involved if this player says, well, I got this personal trainer that, that trains me with this other club, you know, what can you, you know, what can you provide, you know, in that respect or perform it, you know, strength and conditioning or strength or performance. Um, so these different things are a part of it. So I'm not, but I'm not des- designated to, to recruit and bring players to the, to the program. But when they call on me to, to be with a family and spend some time with them to, to bring them in, then, then I'll, I'll play that role. But my main role is skill development. I do, uh, I, I work with the career advisor to help, you know, with the, the kind of the career path pathways, so to speak, and the kind of the family care to help them through the recruiting process since I've been, been through it myself with, and, and with a lot of these players. There, there was a video that went viral a month or so ago of, of Steph Curry hitting like, I don't know how many threes in a row from the corner, you know, like I, it was like 90 threes in a row or some ridiculous number right before the all-star game. And the immediate thought that went to my mind when I saw that was you, because there are a lot of those I've seen firsthand of you having these re- remarkable shooting demonstrations where you will <laughs> literally make like 98 out of 100 threes and and some of that was while you were playing but then it went on even beyond your career as you were working in technology in the game I wanted to ask you about that this other really interesting thing you know so much about is how technology is taking shape in the game and you as a great great shooter and great player were able to kind of test technology and push it to help others grow and we were just sharing a moment ago a story that you told me that I found so fascinating about your relationship with Scott Drew and he's had such wonderful success at Baylor and such a great coach and that you've worked with him with technology over the years. Can you share Ryan just a little bit about your some of your big perspectives on technology, the role it's playing, how it's helping grow the game and then maybe even if there's a story or two about Scott or other coaches and how it's shaped what they do. Yeah. Like whether we want to, whether we want to accept it or not, technology is having a huge impact on our game. And I had, I had the opportunity to spend four and a half years with a company called data driven sports or shot tracker was, was the basketball uh, entity of, of the company. And I was involved with, with um, product development, uh, the software development and all that. And so I realized like our, from, from early, early on that we had an individual product that tracked every shot. It would go to an app. You would see your workout, every spot on the court, like where, what, what you shot from. And I think growing up, you and I would agree like that. I would have been out there all night. Like I would have missed a lot of meals if I would have had something like that, because I was always tracking my shots, you know, whether I was writing it down or keeping it in my head, like I always knew, you know, what I was making. And I've, you know, I've had some good runs. Like you, you were talking about with Steph Curry, like I had some of those, but I, I think I, I truly became a better shooter while I was working at shot tracker because I was testing equipment. I was testing the balls. I was testing the software. I was testing the, the shooting sleeve and the, the wrist sensor and the net sensor and all these different things that we were, that we were doing now has been incorporated in into team wide systems and conference wide systems where we can put out data and information, data and analytics 
like real time, whether it's the broadcasters or whether it's the fans or whether it's the coaches to have this information, to be able to use it to better our players, to motivate our players, to let them know what, what the cause of a, a ball reversal is or two ball reversals, or if we get a paint touch, you know, what's, what's the impact on our shooting percentages and our offensive efficiencies. That's some major stuff that a lot of coaches are, are diving into and digging into. And whether you're, you're hopping on board or not, you have to, in some respect. And, and Baylor was, was one of the first teams as I was sharing the good news of what we were doing. Um, the relationship with Scott really helped that. And he basically told me early on, he's like, Hoove, I don't know a lot about this technology. I don't know a lot about this, what this is going to do for our game. But if you can convince John Jacobs and Ryan Resch, these are my guys. They know a lot about this stuff. If you can convince them, then I'm sold, that, I, that I'm going with it. And, and they were one of the early, early uh, accounts that I, that I worked with. And, and it's an all staff, it's an all team thing to, to let them understand what this is. It's not just a gadget. It's not just a, the next, you know, the next Papa shot. This is a real thing that's having an impact on our game. And, and if coaches and teams can buy into it and get on the same page and use it in the right ways, you're, you're seeing some of the teams that are using the data and the analytics in the right way. And, uh, Baylor's one of them. And I know Gonzaga's done a lot of that, you know, as well. So these are the top two teams this year. Illinois was one of my other accounts and they, they, they came on board early on. And, um, you know, so there's, there's a lot out there and they, they really have to, they really have to, to do a, a good job of due diligence and weeding out some of the ones that are, you know, kind of hokey and, and cause there's a lot of stuff out there you put on your arm or your shoulder or your elbow or, you know, all that stuff. There's, there's some, there's some gadgets out there. And so you really have to decipher and do your research to, to find out. But uh, yeah, I had the privilege of being involved with shot tracker and, and, and helping. I was more of a, a of a kind of a team manager to help these teams understand what our, our, our system was, what the product was and how, how we could use it together. Um, and, and there was some teams that really took advantage of that. It's interesting because it's not only just like the hard data, the numbers that you're, which there's a lot of those out there, but even some of the motivational things that you said, you would have done it all the time as a kid. And we were talking a little bit ago about there was a this is we're, we're talking right now, right. As Baylor's going into the final four. And there was a quote from coach drew about he's got gym rats on his team and he loves that. And that you can literally see a gym rat in action using some of this technology. It's not just stories. There's like, you can tell when they're playing. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. In real time. Like I, we would be at our headquarters in our lab in Kansas and I could see, you know, all my accounts, I had access to, to an iPads, like multiple iPads, and we'd be able to see the activities, you know, when they're practicing. So if any, you know, hiccups happen, we could be able to be available for them to, you know, kind of walk them through what was going on. And so we could see the dots moving, we could see numbers on the dots. So you can know what players were, were where, what baskets they're shooting on, how many balls were active in the gym you know, most teams would have between 15 and 20 balls active on six hoops. And so 
we we had access to that information, but it wasn't to use for any inappropriate ways. It was more just to see how they were using it and help them use it better, more efficiently, and to motivate their players, like you said. And so there was some cases like that where we would look at the monthly numbers of all our various accounts of our shot tracker teams that were using it. And, and there were times when, when Baylor's numbers were, were kind of skewed, they were kind of off the charts and I would be in touch with their coaching staff and then say, Hey, this, you got some gym rats. These guys are getting shots up at weird hours of the day. And, and it just so happens that some of these guys are the ones that are performing when the lights are on, when the pressure's on, that they were in the gym getting the getting the repetitions up and that was always my thing with these coaching staffs is like if you're going to be tracking this stuff make sure you know what they're what work they're doing and what shots they're getting up if they're just shots on the gun yeah that's good but we want game repetitions and if we can track like their game repetitions and where they're shooting those from whether they're three point on the wing the top of the key the corners you can really pull a lot of good information out of there to know what players, where they want the ball um, and where they, you know, they shoot a better percentage over time. If, if you have a big enough sample size, there's a lot of good nuggets of information that you could pull out of that. So again, it was back to the user, um, how we could get these coaching staffs to understand all this, just piles and piles of information and data, how you can use it you know, basically to, to, to dumb it down and simplify it to say, how are we going to use this to better our players and to, to motivate our players? And that was, that's what I think player, the programs that differentiate, differentiate themselves are able to do that and, and really uh, hone in on, on why we're using this and how to use it better.